Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Nidarim, daf Yud Aleph, page 11. Of course, our Mishnah, which upon which page 11 is based, is on the previous daf. We left it for today because it really, you know, as I say, is the basis for the Gemara that follows. And we need those words to connect because it's all about the words. Here we go with the Mishnah, even though I'm still on the previous daf. Almer lechulin shochelcha. Lo kasher, velo dechi, tahor, vitame, notar, upigul, asur. So if somebody says, the thing that I'm eating that is yours should be considered, and this is going to be tricky, your day and I know you're going to talk about it, lachulin, right? It's a, the question is what exactly this means, but the point is that one way or another, it's not food for the Beit HaMikdash. It's not sacred, consecrated food, right? So somebody says, um, what I'm eating of you, it should be considered this non-sacred food. Or somebody says, not kasher, it's not kosher food, right? It's not kosher, it's not valid in some way, which we might straight up understand kosher to be kosher. That might be it. It might also be, again, connected to this um, consecrated side. Velodichi, right? If, it's, um, if it is disqualified in some way, right? The same way that we would say the word pasul, that it's invalid. Um, tahor, vitame. If it is, if it is not pure, or if it is impure, right? If it's pure, if it's impure, if it's left over in the way that korbanot cannot be left over, or if it's pigul, which is the the sacrifice that is made with the wrong intent, any of those things are going to be forbidden. Meaning, what does that mean? If you say, if one person says to another. What I'm eating that is your food should be considered any one of these categories, which are all prohibited for regular eating use, then indeed they're going to be prohibited. Meaning this language, this kind of labeling um, of the food will actually affect the status change, at least according to the read of the Mishnah. Let's go on to the Mishnah. Ki imra, if you say that the food is going to be like the lamb, well, I'm going to read all those terms again. And then come back and explain. Kiimra, kedirim, keetzim, keishim, kemizbeach, kahechal, yushalayim. Okay, so what happens if you again a person comes and says that the food should be like the lamb, meaning the korban of the olah, the animal of the korban olah, the daily offering, or like other animals that are designated as offerings, and so therefore they're kept in special enclosures. Or like the wood, what does it mean, the wood? The branches that are put on the mizbeach, on the altar. Or like the fires that are also on the altar. Or if you say like the altar itself. Or like the sanctuary, the heichal. Or like Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. Or neder b'achad mikol mizbeach. Or if somebody took, the same person, if you took an, an, an oath or a vow that all of the accoutrements of the altar Right, even though Afal Korban, even though he hasn't mentioned the word Korban at all directly, just as we saw before uh, yesterday, that even if the word Korban itself is not mentioned, it still ends up being a vow, a promise with regard to the, the Korban, to the sacrifice, to the offering. Except Rebuda has a caveat. And he says that if you say that this item, this object or animal, whatever, should be considered Jerusalem, then 
it's not considered Jerusalem, he, according to Rebuda. He's saying, ah, you haven't said anything at all. Meaning you want to say that this animal counts as this and such a korban, we're going to listen to you. We're going to treat it that way, right? But once you say that it's like the whole city of the whole holy city of Jerusalem, now you're just talking, right? Now that doesn't make any sense, says Rebuda. Uh, he's pretty convincing, I think, right? The idea that something could change status to be like the holy city when you're talking about something that otherwise would be a carbon, you would need to provide a much stronger relationship between, you know, to discuss why this utterance would in fact turn something into the status of Jerusalem. Fine. Now the Gemara here gets into the specifics. So both in terms of the language and also in terms of whose opinion is really represented in the Mishnah. Meaning, is this Rebbe Meir's opinion in contrast to Rebbe Huda at the end? And I'm not going to read that inside, but I do want to read just this very first line of the Gemara where it says, Savruha, they assumed or they figured, my lachulin, lo lachulin lehave, el korban. So what happens? They say that the word lachulin, when a person says lachulin, what they mean is not to be, right? I want to be careful with the language, right? If it's spelled lam and chet, vav, lam and yudun, you want to say that it means to be or for hulin, for the purposes of food that is not sacred. But if you read it as la hulin, meaning it's oral, it's oral text at this time. And if you don't see it as the word lam and chet, that's one word, but you see it instead as la, lam and aleph, which is Aramaic, which was the vernacular for the word lo, and then you have chulin, right? Lo chulin. Now you're saying that it's going to be not, instead of saying that this is to be chulin, you're saying it's to be not for the purposes of non-sacred food. So this, um, this there's a conundrum that kicks in specifically because of the fact that it was an oral tradition and the question of what is this word and how would you write it? Is it two words, one of which negates the other? Or is it, in fact, one word, which is actually kind of supporting that word? Okay, that's my, uh, I think this, Gemara, I think the fact that the language can be so confusing, right? Um, especially when you're just training it to your ear, um, I think is really um, important. I'm going to give the example. I saw this earlier today. Um, the quote, knowledge is power, um, which is attributed to Francis Bacon. Um, which somebody some somebody wrote an essay saying that when he was a kid, like 10 years old, his father taught him knowledge is power, France is bacon, right? He heard it as France, the country, is from the verb to be. Bacon, you know, the trace food from the pig, bacon, as opposed to hearing it as an attribution to the man who said the quote, knowledge is power, fr namely Francis Bacon, and he took him several years till he saw it written and then, you know, the penny dropped. So I feel like that's what's, that's the kind of example that this kind of language play uh, can really, can really, uh, you know, put somebody over a barrel. Uh, you explained that very well tonight, Anne, I got to say. <laughs> that was, that was a, yeah, it's all, I mean, this is real language play and this continues on to Amabed as well. They bring another brace to show, uh, you know, where else we see. This opinion of uh, Ravashi also goes through something very interesting to explain this, uh, you know, with Rabbi Meir. So I'm going to move on to this next part of the Mishnah that said, Torah vitameno Torah pigul asur, right? All this list of words that have to do with korbanos, um, that if you use that word, it means it's forbidden. 
Bo Rami Barhama. So Rabbi Barhama asked, right? Hare alai kibasar zivcheshlamim laachar zrikatan. What if somebody says, um, right, you are to me like the meat of a shlamim after the throwing of the blood? Now, the reason why this is significant is that um, of the uh, after the throwing of the blood, right, is when the shlamim is actually allowed to be eaten. But beforehand, it's not allowed to be eaten. So you're basically comparing this, you know, person or those things you want to forbid yourself to a sh- after the blood is thrown, which is exactly when the shlamim becomes permitted. And so the question is, is this a type of formulation that makes an object forbidden uh, or not? So, um, uh, so the Gemara says, right? If the vower says his neder in these words, right? He's associating the object with a permitted, with, sorry, he's associating the object of his neder with a permitted object, right? So, there's no reason that you could even question that it could be valid. So what's Rami Barbarachana even asking? So the Gemara says, Ella, basar Rather, it's a case where the meat of a shlamim offering, right, whose blood has already been thrown, was lying in front of the vower. And it's a permit and a permit, right? Like, let's say a loaf of bread is also lying nearby. And the vower says, this, the bread, is like the shloshim, uh, is like the shloshim meat. Okay, so in other words, the way that he says the neder is through association, right? So it's not that the vower said that this bread should be forbidden, right? What he said was, is this should be like that. Associating, uh, you know, so there's an association with an object that's prohibited, and that's how he's making. Uh, that's how he's making the net. The point is that the meat that's in front of the vower, right? He likens it to another object, and that's exactly what's happening here. So you know, we'll see what the resolution is. Uh, you know, tomorrow they're going to get more into the resolution here, but it go. But um, uh, you know, but it goes on to say, right? My, what's the law? But is the vower associating the bread with the essential state of the shlem and meat, meaning, right, the previous state where it was prohibited? Oh, or is he associating it with the current permitted state of the meat? And so, in other words, it's giving us an example of something that's very not clear what it is. You could be talking about it being one way, you could be talking about it another way. And the question, therefore, would be, could this be in any possible way that the neder would be valid? We'll see the answer to this tomorrow because uh, there's more discussion about it. It's very striking that the whole thing about nedars are really, uh, they're basically based on your understanding of language. And so we're just going to see sort of these series of cases uh, to try and figure out, you know, when does language invoke a, a nedar or when do we say it's so uh, it's so ambivalent, we can't, we can't worry about there being a nether in that case. I'll say one other comment just briefly, which is that a lot of this, or certainly from this Mishnah, is now again revolving, maybe yesterday also, revolving around 
Korbanot, Beit HaMikdash, right? This level of consecration and sanctity, which I think we did not see as much, right? In the Yavamot, Ketubot, um, you know, family dynamics type of thing. And, but I feel like we could give examples of Nidaram that don't require the consecration element. And yet I think this is what Chazal want to talk about, right? Like this is where Nidaram were first and foremost, you know, of greatest importance. And everything else is a trickle down from there. I think that's an excellent point. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Ring us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrum website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.